Last week we read from Revelation 4, where John receives a glimpse of heaven and what it means to bring heaven and earth, heaven on earth. What it means to see the big picture and have, uh, to have heavenly hope in our daily life on earth, despite our sinful and at times desperate circumstances. Revelation 4 reminds us of the throne and that the throne is not vacant. We heard that last week. That the King Jesus is on the throne. And he remains in control and he is the ruler. And we worship the one on the throne. We worship Jesus. Now we move on to chapter 5 today. And John continues with what he sees and what he sees with respect to the throne. Jesus Christ. And he talks about the one who is worthy. So chapter 5 is a continuation of chapter 4. In that it encourages us also how to respond in worship. How to adore our Lord and Savior and worship Him. Before we read from Revelation 5, let's come to God in prayer. God, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word which directs us on how to live lives that You desire for Yourself. How we can worship You. How we can follow You. How we can be the disciples that You call us to be. And the reason for that is because of Your Word that tells us the story of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who came down as the Christ child a human, and who lived on this earth and who died for all our sins and rose from the dead. So Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And again, this morning as we read from your word, may we see all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and how we too can adore and worship Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw by the angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, And the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on this earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You see the seven words. And then I heard every creature in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in last week's message, we talked a little bit about sight and how our sight could so easily become distorted. And many times we will have different perspectives among one another. And when we read scripture, we will have different lenses and perspectives that we read with. And very often the book of Revelation is preached from the perspective that it's all about the future. And no doubt it does point us to the future. I mean, it's referred to as what's called apocalyptic literature, meaning the apocalypse, meaning the end times. But how does it speak into our lives today in terms of providing hope and also encouraging us to live out our lives today, bringing heaven on earth, being the followers of Jesus in our lives today, in this context, in the 21st century, here in Exeter. So as we read the first four verses, they lay out a problem for us. And it's a current problem. I mean, the story is still in the context of the throne, and there is one sitting on the throne. But what enters the story now is a scroll. And the scroll is in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And this must be an important scroll. But the scroll is unable to be opened. And there's no tampering with this scroll. And at this point, there's suspense of not knowing what the scroll states. In fact, the author John weeps. He weeps that this scroll is unable to be opened by angels or even people. We read that the scroll has seven seals. Again, seven throughout Scripture is the number for perfection and completion. The scroll is perfectly sealed. The scroll is complete. Nothing in this scroll is to change. It has already been sealed. Later in the book of Revelation, we learn that the seals unleash God's judgment. But those whose names are on the scroll need not fear the judgment. But at this point, the scroll remains unopened. Everything is unknown. And then we read that there's this mighty and strong angel... And that's important because this angel needs to shout in a strong and loud voice to find someone. Is there anybody out there? Can he find anybody who is worthy to open the scroll? And despite the efforts of this angel, who among others want to see this scroll opened, it's futile. Humanity has the intelligence to achieve so many things technological advances. I mean, we've sent people to the moon and people are capable of doing so many things and yet none is worthy to open the scroll. And that's the problem then and it's still now. There is no one worthy because the world and its people are full of sin. The challenge of opening the scroll is put out to all. But the seals are too strong to break by any created being. 
this once again reminds us that we are limited in what we can do. And we're not even worthy to open this scroll, let alone worthy and able to save ourselves. We're once again, through this passage, being reminded of our sinfulness and the impact that the sin has on us and on everyone else, on God's world. And so John sees that he cannot depend on himself, and we too cannot depend on ourselves. But we have one that we can depend on. We are dependent on a Savior. Our salvation is initiated, implemented by Christ alone. So who is worthy? We're not. There are scripture passages throughout the, scripture, uh, the Bible. In the New Testament, we can read in Ephesians 5, verse 5, we read, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, we read, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. See, this is not only referring to those other people. Each one of us could probably fit in one of these categories, in Ephesians or Corinthians. We can't only point our finger at other people. We are the unworthy people. And when we have problems with other people's sins, we first have to look at our own sins because we too are not worthy of opening the scroll. Verse 9. This passage refers to every tribe and language and people and and nation. The gospel is for every tribe and language and tongue and nation. Remember now, the gospel did not originate in North America. The birthplace of Christianity is in the Middle East, where now it presently struggles to be prevalent in the Middle Eastern culture. This passage states that the blood of Jesus was purchased for all nations. Now, at one time in history, at this time rather in history, many nations were pagan. And there were many nations that were actually considered savage nations. And there were people on the margins. And there were minority cultures. People who who we might think that possibly should not and cannot deserve a savior. Their life is such that they just don't have their act together. But people, that's the cool thing of the gospel. We realize that none of us are worthy, and yet there is still hope. In the Old Testament, God's concern focused on the nation of Israel because the promise of a Savior was going to be fulfilled through this one nation. In the New Testament, God has now concern for Israel and all nations, Jews and Gentiles. The promise of salvation is to go out to all peoples, no exceptions. A few moments ago, we brought up Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. And the verse from 1 Corinthians states, and and Ephesians states, who cannot enter the kingdom. But in 1 Corinthians, that verse also concludes with the following statement. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
On our own, we are not capable of saving ourselves or opening the scroll. We're not worthy, but there is one who is worthy. And because of that, we have hope. We have value. We have worth. The one who is worthy is the Lion of Judah. He is able to open the scroll, according to verse 5. And the elder states to, to John that the Lion of Judah, he can open the scroll. And so John looks towards the throne. And what does he see? Instead of the Lion of Judah, what he sees is the Lamb that was slain, as we read in verse 6. What's referred to as the Lion of Judah is referred to in the Old Testament in Genesis 49.9, where it states that Judah is a lion's cub. The Lion of Judah. And then there's documents that are written between the Old and New Testaments, which po- point to Revelation 5 as well. In this book of Ezra's, it's called, refers to the Lion as the Messiah, whom the Most High has kept until the end of the day, who will arise from the prosperity of David. A lion. A lion is seen as a predator. A lion is seen as the king of the beasts. A lion is seen as some, something that's roars and mighty. I think many of people here are probably familiar with the Narnia series written by C.S. Lewis. And Lewis uses a lion, Aslan, to represent the king. The one on the throne is a lion. The one on the throne is a fighter. And this can be seen as God who fights and goes to battle and destroys the work of the devil. And so the elder proclaims to John, he says, don't you worry, because the Lion of Judah is there. And again, John looks, and what he sees is the Lamb. He sees the Lamb who was slain. And the Lamb is a symbol of meekness. It's a symbol of sacrifice. And in this case, this Lamb is a little Lamb. And it has seven horns and seven eyes. Again, seven. Seven is a sign of completeness. And the seven eyes completely, they represent wisdom. The horns are a picture of strength. So this little lamb is completely wise and completely strong and powerful. And it may be meek and humble, but the lamb is not powerless. The lamb rules and the lamb is on the throne. You see, the lion of Judah becomes Mary's little lamb. The powerful lion becomes the slain lamb. There is a movement from the focus on the lion to a focus on the lamb. Why? Because it says here, the lamb's blood purchased men and women from every tribe and nation so that there will be a kingdom of priests to serve and to worship the Lord. You see, this, lamb, this, this slain lamb, it's not foretelling the future. The slain lamb is, lamb is already on the throne. The battle has been fought. We are in a battle of good and evil, but the cool thing is that we already know the outcome. We know the winner. The lamb is on the throne, and nothing will remove the lamb from the throne. People of God, our future is secure. Because worthy is the Lamb. God's grace is amazing. The Lamb reigns in the world as the Lion. And it's the Lamb that's on the throne. In the kingdom of God where the first is last and the last is first, the Lamb rules as a Lion. Things are not always as they seem. 
Again, the elder points to the Lion of Judah. And John looks and he sees the Lamb who was slain. The world so often wants to see this ferocious lion, this almighty lion on the throne and having a lion rule. But God has the lamb on the throne for us to see and the lamb to rule. God has a slain lamb on the throne. Jesus, our God and Savior, died on the cross and yet he rose on the third day. Talk about power. Power of a lamb. Talk about victory. Victory of the lamb. You see, Christ won the battle not with the sword, a power like a lion, but through his death and resurrection like a lamb. He didn't win as a ferocious lion, but as a slain lamb. And we're not worthy, but there is someone who is, and that's Jesus. And he's taken our place, and he has made us blameless before God. And so as a response, he calls us to respond. He calls us to respond in faith. He calls us to respond by following him. And particularly in this passage, he calls us to respond to fall down and worship him. And according to this passage, our worship should be boisterous and participatory and active. We're to sing a new song of the reality of our new life in Jesus. And in this new song, the people sing that we are purchased and that we're priests and we reign on this earth. And if the Lamb is reigning right now, then we too as his people are reigning right now. It's not only about the future, it is also about the present. And as I was reading this, there are seven words describing our worship to the Lamb who is worthy. And the seven words are used again, meaning complete. The Lamb is to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Seven words, meaning that Jesus deserves our utmost and complete worship. Not just dragging our feet into church on Sunday mornings, but celebrating for all that he has done for us. Not just going through the motions of life throughout the week, but responding every day to the one who is worthy. And thousands and thousands of angels are examples for us on how to worship. Again, through the children's message, we were reminded of the angels terrified the shepherds initially, but led them to worship the newborn king. The angels worshiped Jesus at his birth. On Christmas Day, we'll read from Luke 2, where the angels are giving glory to God. And here, too, in this passage, the angels, thousands upon thousands of angels are worshiping, and, and that leads to the four living creatures to worship and the 24 elders to worship. And when we have seen what the Lamb has accomplished, that leads to worship. The angels, again, point our eyes and our attention to the one on the throne to the Lamb who was slain. The angels point us to see what Christ has done for us through His death on the cross. The angels point us to see that Christ died to remove all our sins and to bring reconciliation and restoration to our relationship with God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And like the four living creatures, say amen. All God's people together say amen. Let us pray. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and we are to give you all power, wealth, wisdom, strength, and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. We thank you for taking all our sins upon you at the cross. We thank you for reigning on the heavenly and earthly throne. Thank you for making us priests and partners in your kingdom here on earth. And we look forward to the Christmas day where we celebrate the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ, where the angels show us to worship by giving you glory. And we look forward to the day of your second coming that you will bring complete restoration to your people and to this earth. We look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Lord, forgive us for when our worship is not giving you worth. Forgive us when we come to church with maybe a blah attitude. We thank you that you are worthy. Because of your worth, you have made us worthy before God. And we give you glory and praise. And we, like the elders, say amen. In the name of the slain lamb, Jesus Christ, amen.